Good morning. Happy Christmas. In Australia, we say happy Christmas. Speaking of, it's like 4.30 in the morning in my parents' hometown, and they're watching. Hi, Mum and Dad. I love you. And Jamie in Thailand. It's also middle of the night there. She's watching too. I love you, James. Um, yeah, uh, Christmas in Australia is interesting. Maureen said last week, actually, can I get the house lights up a little, guys? I like to see people's faces. Um, Maureen said last two weeks ago that uh, Christmas in Australia is like 120 degrees. Not quite, but it is hot. It's the middle of summer, but I, I realized I am quite disappointed with Christmas in America, and here's why. It's over really fast. It just is like, wait, Christmas? Oh, we're done? And this is why. In Australia, our school year runs January through December, so beginning of December, school ends, and you're in summer holidays, right? So we start, and we don't have Thanksgiving because we're not America. So, um, so then the whole, like pretty much maybe even the end of November, decorations are up. We're anticipating summer's coming, Christmas is coming, and there is Christmas activities every day in December. Here, it's like you've got, what, three weekends to do Christmas stuff? Oh, you're being robbed of like... <laughs> Christmas should be longer. I could do Christmas like all the time. I love it. I think uh, the other thing for me about Christmas here in the States is... Um, uh, do you guys have your memories connected with senses? So you smell a smell and it just takes you back, right? Or you taste a certain food or a song and you're like back in high school because there's a song from the 40s, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, we need to laugh a lot right now because the rest of the message is quite sad. So <laughs> isn't it, Adam? You've heard it, yeah. So, you know, the senses, like, really bring you back. When I moved to the States, I pretty much cut off my memory of my first 23 years in Australia because nothing here reminds me of home, right? So you guys have the smell of summer and it reminds you of your childhood. You're, the summer here does not smell like the summer at home. In fact, oh, um, guys, I totally forgot the clicker. Sorry. You're going to have to do it for me. Can you pop up that um, pretty beach scene? That's my hometown, the Gold Coast. And um, nice, right? So the summer here does not smell like the summer there. Your Pacific Ocean, this is the other side of it. They're like schizophrenic Pacific Ocean because our sands are golden and the surf is warm. And I think it's maybe because of evaporation. The, s the water is salty there. Here it's um, not super salty. Have you... Check your wallets. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm pretty funny. So, anyway, what Christmas does for me is it reminds me of home because nothing else reminds me of home here. Um, like literally, no smells, no tastes, no no. You know, I'm not like 
Yeah, and actually going home doesn't remind me of my memories either. Has anyone ever gone back to your hometown and you're like, where, where are all the buildings I remember? <laughs> where did this street come from? Like, then they're totally reconstructing cities all the time, so my memories are kind of lost. Like, so Christmas in the States and in Australia are quite similar in the songs, um, the feel, you know, getting together with family, and so... Christmas to me is like the one time of year that I'm taken back to my memories. And so I think about Christmas with my family. Um, next slide, guys. Now, I need a, a part, like a little code. What should we say? Like, Clapper. This is my sister, Gemma. She's so sweet. She's four years younger than me. And that's Avi when she's 11 months old. This is the last time we were in Australia for Christmas. And actually, that's May, so it's not Christmas, but my family was like, you're home, we have to do Christmas, because <laughs> Christmas is our, um, I mean, it's just precious to my family, Christmas, and uh, oh man, I just, I have so many memories in my mind about how wonderful Christmas is with my family, we've, we've been through a lot together, uh, we've walked through a lot, who was here when I, cut like a year and a half ago when I talked about wilderness? So you guys have heard a little bit about my journey. Um, if you weren't here, it's online if you care. But, um, but you know, the, we went through a lot as a family. And so, you know, when you've cried together, you can laugh together. We laughed like nobody else. Um, my dad can make my mom laugh until she can't breathe. Do you guys have that, like a family dynamic where one person makes the other person laugh? I mean, she, dad just makes my mom giggle. And I love it. And my sister and I laugh so hard that, you, like, oh, I have a microphone on. You, um, have you ever had to stop laughing by grabbing your face because it hurts too much? <laughs> Has anyone ever done that? It's just me? Oh, good. So my sister and I laugh so hard that we're like, no, okay, let's stop. It hurts. Let's stop. And then when you stop, you realize that you have these ginormous cavernous smile lines that are just carved into your face because you've been laughing so hard and then we look so ridiculous that then we're set off again if you you know what i mean like i just my sister and i can laugh like no other so oh i miss you jemmy um so you know i think about christmas and i think about oh, my family i love them contrast that with <laughs> my first christmas in the u.s i was living with a really wonderful family and um they had family plans for Christmas, and they said, it's totally fine that you're here, but if you could just stay in your room. Now, now, <laughs> I know you're all like, that's, oh, but guys, they had family plans. It's not fault they, sorry, did I do that? It's not their fault that they had a tenant, a boarder. You know what I mean? Like, it's tricky. They had family traditions, and so I spent a lot of that day crying, <laughs> Um, and reflecting, actually, the funny part of it is, the next day I was going on a snowboarding trip with a college group, and there was this super cute guy named Josh on that trip. And so I was sad, but I was also packing, so whatever. But anyway, no, I was sad. Um, and it actually helped me look back. I'd been in the States for seven months, and I realized that in that seven months, I had been, like, isolated. Very little human touch. If you've ever moved to a new town and you haven't, like you've literally not really known anybody, you don't get hugs. And I'm from a very, like, loving, 
tight family. So I spent seven months without human touch. If I had been a cat, I would have died. You know what I mean? Like, there are tests about this. So it was, it was a rough time. And, and not just that, but I was never on anyone's mind. Like, when you're in family and in community, people think about you and maybe call and want to hang out. Or I was never on anyone's mind. I don't think anybody was checking if I was okay. Now, this was before Skype, before Facebook. What? Uh, before people had computers in their homes. Can you believe that? 98. Um, and I had to go to the library to email with my parents. And phone cards were too expensive, so like once a month I might get to call them. It would cost me $30 for about three minutes. So I was cut off and isolated. And so when I compare my Christmas love with my family and then my first Christmas in the States, there's just this, like, man, such opposite. But that Christmas day, all alone, crying, I realized I can't do life alone. I'm not going to do this anymore. I refuse. Um, uh, <laughs> I know, AV gave me the clicker. I just got a message. I know, I lost it, is the problem. <laughs> if anyone has a clicker, it's mine, apparently. Um, there is a cultural uh, push for people to be able to stand on their own two feet. I mean, that's important, right? You need to grow up, stand on your own two feet, and stop needing so much help. I mean, there's a truth in that, isn't there? Right? <laughs> he found it in my handbag. <laughs> um, you know what? While we've stopped here, I forgot to have someone pray. Can we pray right now? Who wants to pray for me? <laughs> Julie Prunk! I see that hand. I would love you to pray for me. If you don't know Julie, she's amazing. Is that what Kurt says when he introduces people? <laughs> you should get to know her. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I just thank you, God, that you are going to meet us today as we hear your word through Justine. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, I know you're going to speak through her. I just ask God that you would anoint every word that comes out of her mouth. And I thank you, Father, for meeting us today in Jesus' name. And I do just um, ask God that you would just bless East Side Foursquare today, Lord, as they meet. And bless their pastors there, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, yeah, so we were talking about standing on our own two feet. Um, I think there's truth in that. However, I saw a talk show with that super famous lady that does talk shows that used to. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. And uh, it was about teenage girls, and they had a psychologist there, and they were really trying to help them be able to stand on their own two feet. And one of them said, the best gift we could give our daughters is to teach them to never need a man. And everyone cheered. And I said, boo. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Wow, this world is messed up. Now, I understand. I understand if you don't have the love of God in your life, that probably seems like a good plan to not be vulnerable and not need anybody without the vision that we have that God has put in us that we're made for relationship. I mean, 
we understand, right? We have compassion because they don't know. But, man, that's messed up, <laughs> isn't it? So in that room that Christmas day, I kind of made a vow that I will not do life alone. Here's the unfortunate thing. I'm kind of weird, and it's difficult to be in relationship with me. <laughs> I mean, friends, my friends, put your hands up if you're my friend right now. Okay, isn't it kind of difficult to be my friend? <laughs> It's weird. I'm, I'm a little weird. <laughs> and I like truth also, so I'm down with that. Um, actually, part of the problem is my self-identity is really messed up. I wanted to tell you a story about my uh, childhood report cards. Have you guys kept your report cards and read through them? Okay. Pretty much all of mine, well, this is the story I wanted to tell you. Pretty much all of mine say Justine talks too much and is disruptive in the class. When I actually read through them, there's only one that says that. All the others say she's pleasant, she's um, intelligent, she contributes such great worth, she's great socially, like all of this stuff, but apparently the story I get to tell you is I'm a magnet for criticism. <laughs> and I hold on to the negative and I don't believe anything true. Apparently that's, so that's why now I can say I'm not very good at relationships. I tend to lean towards criticism. I hate it. It paralyzes me, but somehow I believe it more than I believe anything good. And I think it's because um, my self-perception is that I'm bad. So then when people point it out, of course that's true, you know? So I crave to be in relationship, but I actually wonder, is that even possible? You know, like, the depth of relationship I want could any human tolerate that with me? Like, I'm just a burden. I have nothing of worth. It costs a lot to love me. And I'm not sure I want to ask anyone to pay that price. Anyone else ever feel that way? Nope, just me. Okay, great. <laughs> no hands went up. All right. Feeling alone right now. Um, also, I wanted to tell you that I don't, preach because I like to preach. I uh, went into youth ministry because I had a real passion for people to know the word of God and, and understand why we do what we do. And, you know, reading the Bible is, it's life. If you, if you haven't worked out how to have a regular study time in the word of God, give it to yourself as a Christmas gift this year. Um, I was just at a youth retreat a couple weekends ago, and we talked about how without Jesus, we're kind of like zombies. I mean, what do you know about zombies? They're dead. Do they think they're dead? Uh, they're dead, but they don't think they're dead. Do they feel? They don't feel. But are they aware that they don't feel? No, they're not aware that they don't feel. Can they learn? Or are they just stuck in their old patterns? Well, they're stuck. But do they know that they're stuck? Are they aware that they can't learn? No. That's us without Jesus, right? And the word of God, we need it because it pumps truth into our lives and gives us that life that without zombies. Right, guys? We talked about zombies and princesses. It was awesome. Um, yeah, so anyway, <clears throat> we're going to head into the book of Ruth. Ruth, is that all right? Okay. Um, I, oh, Adam, you're awesome. 
That's my, I forgot to show, this is my parents and my sister. I wish, it's been so long since I've seen them and I won't talk about it because it will make me cry. But I miss them so much. If there was a way for me to cause a great earthquake and move Seattle and Australia, like, I would totally do it. I'm sorry for everyone that dies in the process. Okay, enough laughter. We're heading into sadness. You ready? So the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. All right. And then I look at this story of Ruth and Naomi. And I'm intrigued, honestly. Um, There's a depth of relationship that Ruth and Naomi have that fascinates me. Do you guys have, I mean, we've been going through Ruth. Has everyone read the book of Ruth? Yeah. So you kind of know the flow of, of what's happening, but this is what, this is the description of Ruth and Naomi's relationship. Your daughter-in-law who loves you so much is better to you than seven sons. This is what was said to a lady who had lost two sons. She is so awesome. She is worth to you. If you'd had seven sons and they'd all died, she's still better than that kind of cruel right I mean that's what (laughs) but actually uh, Naomi was fine with this description she was like yeah it's true and I think that relationship is extraordinary then better than what Naomi had lost now when I moved here 14 years ago I practically lost my family overnight. The grief of that has marked me. Uh, It really changed me. Being without touch definitely affected that. Being without relationship for that long was very difficult. I can't imagine what Naomi went through. I have not lost a husband and children. Also, she had left her prosperous lifestyle during a famine, and they'd gone to Moab, And then she came back with nothing to her old friends, that's difficult, and um, to a land that she probably could not keep because the inheritance laws. So she was losing not just people, but also security. So she had lost so much. And yet, Ruth, the Moabite, not even... God's people. She's not one, you know, Ruth was not a daughter of God. This is better than everything you lost? Okay, I would like that. Wouldn't you? A relationship that is better than everything you've lost? Um, It just fascinates me. So um, (laughs) it makes me like lean in to the book of Ruth. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Like you're anticipating. I, I want to know, what is the secret to this relationship? Um, typically, when I get to prep to preach, like when I was a youth pastor, I planned out the preaching schedule based on what I needed, you know, felt to teach, and I had a lot of control over it, so then I could, it, it could interweave with my life, so then I had a lot of s- stories and things to contribute to that process, does that make sense? I was allocated this passage, 
When Kurt said, I want you to preach on Ruth, here's the date, I was like, Ruth? (laughs) I actually don't care about that book at all. And he was like, what are you talking about? You're a woman, it's a woman's book. And I was like, ah, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. And actually, my Bible is super um, marked up. Like, every, and it's actually broken, which is sad to me. Um, But, I mean, pages, you could look at any page, underlining Words circled, notes, like I'm just hungry for God's word. I love it. And you turn to Ruth. (laughs) There's two markings. That's it. One underline and one comment with a question mark. Like I wasn't even sure about it. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I had to to look at the book of the Ruth and and particularly he said Ruth 3. So I did the soap thing. Okay, do you guys do soap? This is a really great thing. We have some scriptures that we're reading through together as a church family and the, it's just a great uh, practice of devotional reading. So if you're looking for a way to do devotionals, I highly recommend Soap for you. You just read through the passage and you watch for a speed bump or like a hiccup or something that just jumps out at the page at you, right? So I started reading in Ruth 3. Um, I missed a slide. That's a good one, right? So Ruth 3, so look for me for the speed bump, with me for the speed bump. Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished his meal. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go, uncover his feet and lie down there and he will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth said what? <laughs> That's crazy. That I'm speed bump for me. What? Everything? And that everything? That's a weird list of things to do. <laughs> and even if it was cultural for Naomi, certainly not cultural for Ruth. Weirdo. It's just weird. And, and I was thinking like, I don't think there's anybody in my life that I would do everything they said. Like, I go to a lot of people for wisdom. I have a lot of people that I call my mentors. They don't really know that they are, but pretty much if I ask you questions about, like, you know, searching for answers and wisdom, you're my mentor. Sorry. Um, But my parents are at the top of my list of mentors. They are wise and godly. Um, I actually have this super cute photo that's me and my dad. I just wanted to be like him, right? <laughs> Love it. Because folding arms, did you know folding arms is a learned thing? You're not naturally born able to fold arms. So we have to learn it. Yeah. And so that's what I'm doing there. It's like, I'm going to do, I can't do it, but I'm going to try. So I love my dad. I love my mom too. And, I, you know, I want to be just like them. But when I talk to them about stuff that's going on and they give me their wisdom, I tweak what they say. I apply it because they're not here. They don't understand American culture. They don't understand or know the people I'm asking for wisdom about, right? So I I tweak it. So even like my best, most amazing godly mentors, I wouldn't do everything. So then based on this, uh, this moment with Ruth and Naomi, I have to assume Naomi is incredible. 
the most amazing person on the face of this planet. I will do everything you say. Amazing Naomi. So beginning of their story, Ruth says to Naomi, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you. Because remember, Naomi's heading back to Bethlehem, leaving Moab, and she sent her daughters-in-law back. And Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. I will go wherever you go and live wherever you live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I will die where you die and will be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. What kind of person elicits this kind of follower? Man, this Naomi is incredible. I'm not sure. I mean, I've said that I will do this with Josh, and I'm going to do it my best, right? But this is like, holy cats, right? It's amazing. <coughs> Naomi, Naomi, is she the reason why this relationship is so amazing? I mean, the whole book of Ruth is extolling Ruth's amazingness. But she was from a pagan society. She didn't have an upbringing of godliness. The only Jesus or God that Ruth knew was Naomi. Naomi should be heralded at, heralded as, that's a tricky word, um, heralded as the most amazing godly woman on the face of this planet. To elicit this, right? You, you feeling it? Okay. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was soon buzzing. Hot gossip. Is this really our Naomi? And after all this time, it had been 10 years that she'd been gone. No Facebook. You know, they hadn't seen photos. No tweeting. They didn't know. And here she is back. But she said, don't call me Naomi. Pleasant. Call me Mara. Bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I left here full of life and God brought me back empty. Why would you call me Naomi Pleasant? God certainly doesn't. The Almighty ruined me. Uh, Naomi? <laughs> Amazing Naomi, where did you go? What happened? What? This is awkward. Public meltdown? I mean, awkward. Everyone's come out. Naomi, you're back? Holy, what? <laughs> Toxic public meltdown. This doesn't add up. You know what's funny or sad? <laughs> Is um, people interpret this and use this and apply it. And uh, Naomi has been known as Naomi, the one with the problem of bitterness. Ruth, amazing. Naomi, not amazing. Because of this. What about the rest of the book? What about all these other moments? This is the moment that boxes her? That's disappointing. In fact, um, one of my favorite preachers and writers wrote this. It's so sad. I have it crossed out. Just so if you ever wonder what I felt about this, you don't have to wonder. Okay? You and I must resist the temptation to speak negatively, even when we feel negative, as Naomi did in Ruth 1.21. Feel negative? Uh, okay. 
Uh, blurting out negative statements based on our emotions is extremely unfruitful. Naomi, so unfruitful. Speaking out of our emotions is not the right thing to do. Our emotions usually do not do well in times of testing, but we do have hope because as we mature in Christ, we learn to control our emotions and our mouths. I am disappointed with this. This is not the Naomi I know, and this is not the lesson that I feel like I'm getting from Naomi's life. Now, there are many, many passages in our word about controlling the tongue, right? This is not untrue, correct? We do need to get a handle on our emotions. I've been telling our four-year-old a lot, sweetheart, use your words, not your emotions. Crying doesn't communicate. I don't know how to help you. You need to be the boss of your emotions and not let your emotions be the boss of you. I mean, this is truth, right? But is this what was going on with Naomi? Is she amazing or is she sinful and immature? Who is this Naomi? I'm confused. Um, there's a really wonderful uh, commentary by the Jewish Publication Society, thanks to Will Lees. I got to borrow it. He's been studying Ruth at Bible College, which is really cool. Um, and this, this commentary is written by um, Jewish believers. Okay, so we're getting a depth of our, our godly history and the Jesus New Testament perspective, right? So really great. This is what they say. On the don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. In this verse, Naomi acknowledges that she has been completely changed. She rejects her former name because it no longer describes her. In changing her name, Naomi aims to show the tragic transformation inflicted upon her. It's an expression of her loss. Ah, oh, Naomi. That actually makes me admire her. What courage. Yeah, guys, I'm back. Here's the thing. The Naomi you knew before is broken. I'm struggling. I'm in pain. And I'm going to let you know because I'm going to share my life. Doesn't that give you kind of a compassion for her? An admiration? What happens when we tell people they can't share their emotions? Well, we're just sick of hearing you complain. Well, maybe she hasn't gotten to complain enough, so it's out of her system. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, there are people where you're like, really? Still? You're stuck there? It's been so long. And there are issues that, that need to be moved on from. But we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, haven't we? Losing my family is so deeply painful for me. I miss them. I think, why did I come here? What was I thinking, leaving my family? If I could go back regularly, it probably wouldn't hurt so much. But that is so expensive, it's so far, it just seems... You know, my parents have never met our son. Man, that hurts. I 
I've never met my sister's kids. Man, that hurts. So I look at Naomi and I think, if you need to say how you feel out loud and you want people to call you Mara for a while, okay. Okay. But I think this is more than just a lesson of grace. Where was Ruth when this was happening? (laughs) I wonder if Ruth was standing there thinking, I just pledged my life to this lady. (laughs) What was I thinking? She is not as stable as I expected. <laughs> Second thoughts. You know, she's, she's new to this town. She doesn't know anybody. The women came out to meet them. Is this Naomi? You're back. Onslaught of grief and bitterness and Ruth. <laughs> I mean, what Naomi said was, I went out full and I came back empty. I wonder if Ruth was like, <laughs> empty? Do I not count for anything? Chopped liver? Like what? (laughs) Or was the words of Naomi exactly what Ruth needed to hear because it embodied the grief that she was walking through too? Did Naomi give voice to the pain that Ruth didn't know even how to deal with herself? Uh, We took uh, the kids on youth trips every year and... um, In 2005, we went back to Mexico. We had our favorite city, Culiacan, in Mexico. Right? We love Culiacan. Um, So this is the team from 2005. This is actually taken um, at the cathedral, right, guys? Yeah. So there's a big um, Catholic cathedral built by a very wealthy man for his daughter to be married in a long time ago. It's the top of Culiacan, and we would go there as a team, and, oh, can you find yourself in there, Joe? You're super cute. Look at you. Um, man, crazy stuff happens on mission trips. If you have not gone on a mission trip, and you, you could go to the Philippines in April, do it. Do it. God will provide the finances. He will work out your vacation time. Whatever needs to happen, if you ask him, he will get you there. I'm telling you, something happens. When you're out of your comfort zone and you're in a new place, everything gets raw and real and you need God like you never needed him before. Right, Christina? I mean, and they, they need some men for this trip, for the work they're doing. And so, guys, will you think about going? We'll rock your world, I'm telling you. So I want to tell a story about these three people. Two circles and an arrow, because the arrow is Will and he's hiding behind Josh. I'm not sure... <laughs> Oh, it's kind of typical of how you were back then, Will, isn't it? Really? Hiding. Okay. Um, So the top circle is Josh Brunk. Um, I talked to him, and he gave me permission to share this story, and actually he's really excited that it would be shared. And the other circle is Sarah, one of my dearest friends. So here we are in Mexico. Now, Josh's dad had just been diagnosed with cancer, and this was a very rough trip for Josh. He was choosing to be away from his dad, not knowing how long his dad would live. It was very difficult for a teenage boy, you know? And Josh is just, man, I'm such a huge fan of him. 
there is something really special about him. So I was keeping my eye out for him on the trip. I just wanted to make sure he was okay, you know, and I was praying for him and handing him extra snacks at snack time, you know. Um, So uh, Will, just just before we went to Mexico, right, Will? We were praying for Will's mom because she had cancer. She was miraculously healed of cancer. Phenomenal, right? Amazing. And Will shared that um, as part of our ministry time down there. He preached about it, preached about how God is our healer. People came forward for prayer, like crying. And our team, this team of kids, laid hands on people to be prayed for healing. It was such a powerful time. God moved that day. And I was watching Josh because it was about the power of God to heal. You know? So a couple days later, we're at a church service in Mexico um, with with our local host church. And we're worshiping and we're singing and Sarah like runs out. And never comes back. (laughs) We're like partway into the sermon and she's still not back. So I'm like, okay. Snuck out and I find her in the like concrete foyer area of this rustic church, sobbing, like the deep, can't breathe sobbing. Have you ever had that? Man, I was like, Sarah, (laughs) what is going on? And she said, we were singing a song, God, you are good. And it's true, but my mom died and it still hurts. And she could not stop crying. Well, here's Sarah's story call to full-time missions, pursuing to go into the Middle East long-term. Heads off to Turkey for training, gets a call, her mom is ill with cancer, come home. So she leaves her training, she leaves her dream of missions, puts it on hold, comes home, and cares for her mom. Intercedes, prays for healing, expects God to move, and her mom dies. In Sarah's arms, (laughs) she'd cared for her. And then Sarah had to take over responsibilities to finish raising her younger brother, being the woman of the household. She lost her mom. She's grieving. Her dad is grieving. All of her brothers, she has several brothers, are grieving. And she's grieving the loss of her missions. And so in this little moment in Mexico, she says, you don't choose when grief hits you. It's out of your control And it's so painful right now, I can't move. So I was like, okay, well, if you could pull yourself together by the time church is over, that would be great, because we have kids that need you. Love you. Okay. So, I mean, not out of not compassion, but if if it's not something that I could help with, right? I'm like, okay, grieve. I'll check on you in 20. Like, (laughs) I mean, we had kids that needed her leadership. Well, she couldn't stop crying. So we get back to the base and um, she shares why she's crying, right? She gets done and Josh Brunk asks if he can talk. And I'm going to cry again. (laughs) And he says, I needed to hear Sarah's story. I needed to know what it's like to want to trust God but have so much grief that you don't know how to she's given me hope 
hope. Wait, the story of hope was that Sarah's mum died and Sarah's in grief. That's where he got the hope? What about Will's story? Wasn't that the one that had hope? Wasn't it? (laughs) No, it was Sarah's story that... Josh says that that trip changed him. It's a major turning point or a, a marking point in his life. Man... It also helped me love my friend more, to watch her walk through this grief and to see. It's not that she needed to pull herself together in order to minister to the kids. It's that who she was in that moment was exactly what the kids needed. Takes me back to this moment with Ruth and Naomi, doesn't it? (laughs) What if... These words of Naomi were exactly what Ruth needed. And if Naomi had held it together and spoken faith words and been super positive, not that there isn't a place for that, right? Because can we say this? Being full of faith and hope and not being bitter is our goal, right? I mean, there's a, we are driven to want to know the goodness of God, right? And to be able to speak it without lacking in faith. Don't we want that? Can I tell you, if you're in the midst of grief and you are in that faith place, you are like, praise God, awesome. Right? We want to have that. At the same time, if you're walking through grief and you are not in that place, you are not disqualified. And I think, (laughs) counter to what... Uh, the description was about expressing negative emotions is not fruitful, right? Nobody condemns Naomi in the book of Ruth for what she said. God is not afraid to point out sin, (laughs) right? I mean, you read through the Bible and he points out sin. This is not okay. This keeps you in bondage. Stop doing it, right? Who tells Naomi, uh, that's not okay? It's not in there. It's in other places. But in the book of Ruth, it is not in there. The women of the town don't correct her. Ruth doesn't correct her. The story narrator does not correct her. And God does not correct her. There is no correction of what Naomi did there. So I think, Naomi, if nobody corrected you, how dare I judge you for it? How dare I consider that weakness to be sinful? Do you know what I'm feeling here? Man. So amazing Naomi was amazing in the middle of her journey. What if God doesn't use us today despite who we are today? What if he is orchestrating who we are today to intersect with the salvation journey of others? Sanctification is interesting. Um, You know, we're saved. There are three forms of the word saved, three tenses of the word saved. Do you know know what I mean by tenses? So we were saved. When Jesus died on the cross, we were saved. Okay, we were saved, past tense. Uh, That word is also um, uh, justification, right? We were justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. We were saved. Done. Done. 
Okay? Whose job is that, by the way? Who saved us? Yeah. What part do we play? We say yes. Right? We turn to him and say, yeah. You're offering it, I'm taking it. Saved. Okay. We will be saved. We will be saved into eternity. Also called glorification, right? We'll head into heaven, we'll head into eternity, we'll be with God forever. We will be saved. We're not yet saved. We will be saved. We were saved, we're not yet saved. Whose job is that? Who's going to whisk us into heaven? God. What's our role? Yep. <laughs> yep. Then there's this uh, process of sanctification. We are being saved. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. That's work out your sanctification with fear and trembling. And here's the rub. Whose job is this? Both? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's God's job? He sanctifies us. It says by the Spirit and His Word we are sanctified. So it's His work. What's our job? Yep. Now, yes, we discipline ourselves. We choose righteousness. We go after putting the Word into action in our lives. Yes. But all of those things are just saying yes. We're not saved by our own power. It says you are saved through grace. So no man can boast that, that he is saved. We didn't do it ourselves. Jesus saved us. It's the same in sanctification. What happens is, you know, there's a scale almost, a tipping point, right? We need to work at it, but work too hard and it becomes works. Think that you are responsible and you are awesome at it. I'm really great. I'd never say bitter words like Naomi. <laughs> then you've made your sanctification about you and how great you are. And unless you died on a cross for yourself, that's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> right? Now, at the same time, well, God does everything. So I am who I am. It's not my fault you don't like it. No, unacceptable. God is exposing things in our lives that hold us in chains, and we need to say, yes, yes. But when that happens, it's so unique. I struggle with things that I'm sure you haven't struggled with for years, and vice versa, right? We're so unique and different. So in that moment, Naomi, total meltdown, I wonder, who's responsible for her sanctification? It's God. And that moment, that raw, real moment, was planned. It's part of her journey. It was a gift for Ruth and for the people around her. Man, doesn't that make your head spin? Craziness. Um, <laughs> we just need to share our lives. That's what it comes down to. The kind of relationship Naomi and Ruth had, how did they have it? I think they went through junk together. 
and were honest about it. And their sisterhood was forged in fires. Love it. I've got a really <laughs> a long story I'm going to make quick. Um, about a year ago, I was really struggling with my health. Uh, I preached about it, actually. When I did the Body of Christ thing, I was telling you that I was having issues with that little bone in my neck. Um, it turns out it wasn't a bone issue at all. It was a bacterial infection, uh, quite an invasive one. So um, I was getting tested for um, all kinds of autoimmune issues, um, lots of horrific things. I was having tremors, and I couldn't even grip cheese to hand it to my kid. I couldn't even change his diaper without excruciating pain. Couldn't get off the couch. Like, my health plummeted. I was fine, and then I couldn't move. It was very scary. I wrote letters to my kids to say goodbye. It was very, very scary for me. I started some medical treatment. They worked out what this bacteria was, and I started the treatment on that. And I just couldn't leave the house much. It was really difficult for me. And, you know, I had people say, well, you just need to get up and about. You'll feel better, you know? And good-hearted people who I love. One person who I knew as an acquaintance, but she wasn't like a super close friend, said, can I come and have cups of tea with you? So Steph started coming over and having cups of tea. And I think we did it like every other week, Steph, you say, for a while. And she would just come and sit and I would lay on the couch. And we started to share life and talk about stuff. And months go by and I was telling her one day, I'm frustrated about how I'm not really improving. And she said, oh, no. You used to have one good day amidst all these bad days. Look, now you have like a bad day amidst all these good days. You have come so far. I've witnessed it. No one else could have said that but her. It's really awesome. We were walking in the mall this week, and I said, man, was it a year ago we were here with the kids? What a year. We've been friends for a year. That's really cool. Thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> I mean, there goes my insecurities again, right, about whether I'm worth anything. And she said, no, thank you for putting up with me. What you don't know is that those days when you couldn't get off the couch, all you could do was have tea with me, that's all I could do too. She was going through some deep stuff. I got to share that journey with her. I had no idea that she was feeling as bad as I was. Our journeys are now like intertwined. She can speak into the fragile parts of my life where nobody else has the right to. Do you know what I mean? She can say a corrective word to me now and I know that I'm loved by her. And she doesn't say it from a place of strength. She says it from a place of weakness too. There's something beautiful about that. <laughs> the story of Naomi reminds us God is not limited in how he can use us. God is powerful. To think that God can only be glorified in our strong times is a lie. Actually, doesn't Paul say it? In my weakness, he is strong. I begged him three times to take this thorn out of my life, but he didn't. He said, my power shows up 
best in weak people. Romans 12, don't just pretend that you, really, that you love others, really love them. When others are happy, be happy with them. And if they are sad, share their sorrow. Another version says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Beautiful. Share each other's, or Galatians 6, share each other's troubles and problems and in this way obey the law of Christ. <laughs> if you think you are too important, or put together to help someone in need, you're only fooling yourself. You're really a nobody? Ouch. Ouch. Share each other's burdens. Cry with those who cry. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to get better at that too, right? Can I tell you, uh, a week ago, a friend told me that um, they were closing on a house. They were buying a house. I was so excited for her and so jealous and bitter at the same time. And I was like, show me the photos. I'm so excited because I am. But I'm going to rejoice with her. She shouldn't only get to share her joy with other people who get to own homes. Right? I can rejoice with her. You know, I can take a gift to her housewarming. You guys do that here, right, in America? Do you do housewarming? I'm excited for her and the life she's going to have. I'm going to choose to rejoice, right? Just as we have to choose to mourn and grieve with those who grieve. This is the beauty of our faith. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Do you know what this is? This is the end of mourning. This is how they ended their time of mourning. Take a bath, put on perfume, put on your best outfit. You are no longer grieving for your dead husband, sweetheart. It's time to move on. It wasn't that Naomi was like, Ruth, I have a new husband. You could have one too. <laughs> right? It wasn't from a place of strength that Naomi spoke this vision. She was still in her grief. And probably would be in it for a long time. She'd already said, no one's going to marry me. This is the end for me. And yet, in the midst of her grief, she was able to speak vision. Minister powerfully. That's why Ruth could say, I will do everything you say. If you've ever thought, nobody would want Jesus if they knew the truth of my life. That is the opposite of truth. People will want Jesus because they know the truth of our lives. Naomi's story shouts it to us, doesn't it? Being vulnerable is risky, super risky, right? I mean, people are mean and cruel. And if they have information about you, they may just throw it back in your face. For sure, absolutely but I think it's worth the risk. I know Josh Brunk certainly feels like it was, that Sarah would risk that kind of vulnerability. Does that inspire you? God uses us exactly who we are today. Man, that's the Christmas message. Whether full of hate, faith and hope or limping, Naomi's story is for you. 
The secret of Ruth and Naomi's amazing relationship is they shared life, warts and all. I want that. And you know what? I have that. My deepest friends are the ones that we have walked through stuff. You know? Sometimes together, sometimes not together. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We do not have to be fully perfected for God to use us. Oh, is that awesome? Oh, man. I had dinner with a Scientologist once, and he said, I think it is ridiculous that Christianity allows anybody to join with no prerequisites. Shouldn't people have to have read the Bible before they say they're going to do it? Shouldn't you have like an exam to prove that they know it? Well, he's not wrong, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Are there a lot of people who say they love Jesus and they don't know him? They don't know the word. I mean, the word changes us to be God's people, right? I mean, reading the Bible, I mean, this guy, he's not wrong. What I said to him was, there are no prerequisites for Christianity because we are no good without him. In fact, we can't even study the Bible without knowing Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us as we read the word, right? No prerequisites to follow Jesus. It's a relationship, and that is our hope. So, this Christmas, you've got work parties and family parties and all kinds of stuff, and you're going to be interacting with people, and man, share your journey. Share your life, exactly who you are today. Could it be God is weaving your life to minister to the lives around you? And may we all have stories like Ruth and Naomi and Sarah and Josh. And Will, by the way, tons of lives touched because of his story of faith and hope. It doesn't matter where you are, faith-filled, limping, God's got a plan. Awesome Naomi, right? Don't you dig her now even more? Amazing Naomi. All right, shall we pray? Oh, Father, I just thank you. Thank you that we get to be a part of your plan and that you do let us actively be part of our sanctification process. We don't want to just sit idly by. We want to be active. And God, at the same time, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you save us and weave our lives together because of your power, not because of our worth. And Lord, I just pray for every story in this room. God, that you would inspire our hearts to speak with vulnerability, to reach out and build these relationships in the lives around us, that we would have the courage, like Naomi, to share, share it. And God, that, that you would touch the world through our lives. What an honor. Help us to be brave enough to do it this Christmas. Please pick up those cups that are in front of you. Just reach down and pick them up. The lower cup is the one in which is the body of Christ that has been broken for us. And what that really means is, is that our lives were broken in all kinds of ways. Sometimes our fault, sometimes not our fault. doesn't really matter. The fact is, bottom line, broken. And Jesus came experience that brokenness he's the ultimate one that did the Naomi thing he experienced that on the cross 
and showed us that he knew. Showed us that he was there. And it was through that brokenness that we are healed. Precisely the point that was just made in that incredible sermon. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take our finger and we reach it down in there and we break it knowing that we've broken our lives. But knowing that you're the one that came and allowed your life to be broken so as to heal ours. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we just say, we take this body and say, make us whole. Heal us completely in Jesus' name. cup is the life that you have promised. Last week I learned I've been saying it wrong all the time. I've been saying, let us take this life and let it become ours. The truth is it already is ours. And I would ask you, God, that as we take this cup, we would do it in remembrance. That the life that we have right now is the one that you have made for us. We may not have entered into it in fullness, but it is fully there, fully purchased just waiting for us to say yes. Just waiting for us to be real. Just waiting for us to be vulnerable and transparent. In Jesus' holy and precious name, let us take this cup in remembrance that you have given us this full and rich life. Thank you, Lord. Justine talked to me about that. We're, we're ending right now, but Justine talked to me about that sermon a month and a half ago. And when he said, you know what you've done is you've just allowed everybody to go home and be real. You didn't make it to where everybody has to go home and be perfect, and that's the only way that your family members will come to the Lord. And if there's something going on that's bugging you, you've got to cover that up and hide it from them. You just said that that's the counterproductive thing. You've just allowed us all to go home and be exactly where we are, trusting that God would intersect where he's got us right now with where they are. It's amazing the way, you know, when you share your life for real with somebody, it attracts them to you. When you try and fake it, man, everybody knows that. 